Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey Seattle Kraken podcast presented by Queen Anne Beer Hall. Uh, RJ, it's been a kind of exciting week, actually. Uh, there's been lots of stuff. We're going to get to our kind of final dev camp thoughts after the scrimmage that happened. Feels like a million years ago to me, RJ, uh, just <laughs> with the travel and everything involved. But we're going to talk about our final thoughts from dev camp, talk about all that good stuff. Kraken have done some more free agent signings. We've had some media availability with their previous free agent signings. And then most importantly, we're starting to see all of the RFA deals start coming in for the Kraken. Really all of them, RJ, with the exception of one. And that's where we're going to start off today's podcast. And that's with Vince Dunn. He's still the one qualified RFA that the Kraken have not re-signed yet. And the the latest news is today we now know when his arbitration case would be because he did you know file for arbitration back on the fifth I believe it was, and uh, that that is set for two weeks from today on the twenty fourth of July. So we'll see if the Kraken are able to get something done with him the way they were with their other RFAs. Again, we'll get to them in a second. But first first things first, RJ. I mean, it's I'm not surprised that he is the last domino to fall in all of this. No, I'm not either. And this is kind of the most complicated deal to get done. And we've talked about it in the past few weeks of just the the leverage that Vince Dunn has. It's a very expensive defense market. Uh, the cap is going up, not now, but next year, which also complicates things, right? And then you have Ron Francis, who has never spent this kind of money on a player contract ever. And so somebody's going to need to blink along the way here uh, in order to reach a deal, as Ron Francis maybe said at the start of the offseason, you know, when you've got a deal that nobody's really happy with, that's how you know you've got a good deal. Um, and I don't think we're at that point yet, but I think Ron Francis maybe prioritized some of the deals that were a little easier to get done, a little bit more simple, a little bit more straightforward. And now you've got this Vince Dunn deal left. Right, exactly. So, I, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of places that we could start with all of this. I think the first one, though, is as I've been looking at the situation, RJ, in my mind, I got to think that the hang up is, you know, it's obviously on the money. It's probably not on the term at 26. You got to think that the team's willing to go all eight years as the player. You're probably willing to accept the eight years. I got to think that it's all about the money and the AAV. And when it comes to somebody like a Vince Dunn, it's a really interesting case. Uh, looking at this because as you mentioned the defensive market we kind of know what that is there's there's 10 defensemen in the nhl with a cap hit of nine million dollars or more okay and then you look at say vince dunn's production this past season and he was in the top 10 defensemen when it comes to point scoring so you can you can kind of guess probably where vince dunn wants to come in somewhere in that nine to maybe even nine and a half range as a starting spot just because of the cap going up next year and, and the overall uptick and trend that we see with contracts year to year. If you're the Kraken, though, I got to think you were hoping for something maybe more in the seven and a half range. Realistically, maybe you look at the playoff performance and stuff. I don't know. That's that's kind of in my mind where these two sides probably started. Vince Dunn, nine to nine and a half. Kraken, maybe seven and a half to eight. Yeah, I would say maybe the Kraken even start as low as seven if you have kind of both sides really coming in. At, you know, if Dunn's coming in at nine and a half, I'd be like, yeah. well, you know, maybe let's let's start at seven here and maybe try to find something in the middle. And 
you know, if Vince Dunn had more seasons like this past season as has a history uh, that, you know, you could kind of lean on and be like, okay, we know that's what this player is. Um, I, I think there's maybe less hesitation about giving him that money. Cause you know, that's what makes this such an odd case, right? Other defensemen who have been paid in that nine, nine and a half range, they generally had more than one season as a, top top pairing defenseman who's you know 60 point score right Vince Dunn this is a difficult case because he only has that one year to show and he was definitely that good last season but is he going to be that defenseman going forward after a really productive contract year and that's what makes this so difficult uh, I think for team and player to agree upon you know what a number is going to be yes and I'm, I'm glad you brought up the history there because this is one of the things that I've struggled with trying to figure out this Vince Dunn contract situation. And I'm sure that the team is as well Is like you mentioned the history and you're kind of working off of one year. There's always the potential that that one year is an outlier. And it certainly looks like it when you look at kind of his point totals um, throughout his career. I mean, the previous season with the Kraken, he only had 35 points. He had 64 last year, right? You're talking about almost double the amount of points scoring year to year and his previous high before joining the Kraken was also 35 points. And this is kind of what I get at with Vince Dunn as well, RJ, which is if I'm going to give a defenseman, if I'm even considering giving a defenseman nine plus, I want that defenseman to either be uh, lockdown, shut down, play 27 to 30 minutes a night during the playoffs and just, you know, really control the game for my team. Or, I want them to be an offensive game breaker, right? And I kind of feel mm -hmm. like Vince Dunn is above average at both of those things, but he's not really, you know, one of those guys that I would consider elite tier defenders who can control a playoff game. And I don't know that I would consider him a true offensive game breaker either, considering he spent most of the year quarterbacking the second unit power play, <laughs> right? Like that's... <laughs> That's a problem, and that's something that the that the Kraken have to be thinking about. I mean, do you think I'm at least on the right track at all in, in trying to think that a defenseman, if you are talking about this level of money, needs to be at least one of those things? No, I think you're absolutely right. No, they, they definitely do need to be, and that's where you get into trouble when you pay elite defense money to a player that maybe isn't elite in one of those areas. And, and with Vince Dunn, I the power play quarterback thing. They've been trying to make that happen since day one, really. I mean, he was given a shot there uh, very early on with the team and, and it just has not worked out. And he's very good at moving the puck out of his own zone. He's a very, very good puck mover, but he's not elite in the defensive impacts that shut down defense, uh, you know, that, that we know so well for defensemen, like a, you know, Victor Hedman or, or, you know, some of these other guys that get big money. Uh, he, he just can't do that at an elite level as well. And so it, it's just he's kind of this tweener type of guy, right? Yes. You'd feel more comfortable about it if you had multiple seasons of 60-point production that you could fall back on and be like, all right, at least we're getting this. But it's it's just really difficult. I I, I don't know kind of where you go with this. And, and with the player in Team 2, given the situation of done having Arbrights, but being an RFA – but being so close to UFA, yeah, I, there's there's leverage factors all over the place here uh, that can kind of determine because you you're buying one RFA year, but you're also with a eight year extension. You'd, you'd be buying seven UFA years, um, and then if you go shorter term, what does that mean? I mean, just, there's just a lot of factors in the air here. Yeah, would you be in favor of something shorter term? 
Potentially, I would. And this is this is really interesting, too, because uh, we've seen players take shorter term deals, uh, potentially betting on themselves and the cap going up. And I tell you, Vince Dunn is in a really good position if he wants to take a short term deal and continues to be this type of player. Mm-hmm. That defense market could be reset one, maybe two times again by the time he would get an extension on on maybe a two or three year deal. Um, and if I'm the Kraken, you know, in some ways it, it mitigates a little bit of that risk. Maybe you can look at if he okay, if he is that player, maybe you have to be comfortable with signing him to whatever, but at least you know he's that. Or, you know, potentially letting him go after two or three years and being like, yeah, we just we can't afford this, or we can find some other solution. And you know, maybe Riker Evans is able to fill into that spot in a uh I don't know that he can be up to 60 point, you know, number one D level, but maybe he's able to, to fill an offensive defenseman role and it gives you a little bit of time to adjust. I mean, we see this sometimes with younger RFAs on a bridge deal where team isn't quite certain what they are. Player wants to bet on themselves. We could see that. Uh, so I think it's a possibility. If I'm Vince Dunn though, I really want to insist on term here. You have your one really good season. Um, I'd like to lock that in for as long as possible, especially if I can get something in the 8 million range. I'm not getting too upset about, oh, I could have made 10 or so yeah. if I had just waited. The risk to me wouldn't be worth it if I was in his shoes, but that's just me. I don't know. No, I mean, I agree with you, right? Like, I, it doesn't make sense for Vince Dunn. It makes a lot of sense for the Kraken because you get to see if he is that player or not. And, you know, if he isn't, then you haven't committed to it. And if he is, well, you know, great you have a phenomenal <laughs> defenseman oh what a problem to have right uh so it is it is an interesting one um what are the odds you think that this gets settled before the arbitration case because this is something that you and i talked about last week on the deep dive we talked about it on the discord on twitter it's uh, you know what 98 percent of the time in the nhl these cases never actually see you know the two sides arguing against each other uh and and having to go through the actual process the kraken you know they they've got they've handled all the other rfa deals they're probably not really going to go out and sign a bunch more free agents i mean we're going to get to that in a little bit but already it seems like there's way too many people for the amount of spots they're going to have I got to think that for the next two weeks, Ron Francis's kind of sole focus is going to be on finishing this deal. I would think so, too. I would give it maybe 98 percent, just about what you said, that it does not go to arbitration. These cases rarely do, even though this is a particularly tricky one. If it was another team, I might give it lower odds of, of getting done before arbitration. But this is Ron Francis we're talking about. I don't think he wants to go to a messy arbitration hearing, uh, even though I think there might be a potential benefit if you're willing to kind of be golden knights about it and not worry about upsetting a player uh, that I, I wanted to get into that, that possibility. But um, first, I just want to explain to a little bit about arbitration, just how that works, because it's kind of an odd process that especially if you're a newer hockey fan can be really confusing. And we got a lot of messages too asking, okay, well, Dunn filed for arbitration. How worried should we be about this? What does this mean? How does it even work? Um, So as we, I think, mentioned a little bit earlier, the team and the player can keep negotiating regardless of whether the player files for arbitration or not. The arbitration doesn't prevent any kind of agreement from being made beforehand. But what arbitration is, it's a tool that player, uh, to give the player leverage in negotiations. And um, this is something agreed upon in the CBA. And it's very important because as a restricted free agent, 
players don't have a lot of leverage unless a team wants to give them an offer sheet and, you know, try and poach that player away. And teams are so scared of doing that, that really it just doesn't happen very often. And so you're kind of left in this position. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, we've only seen two offer sheets of like any substance in the last 10 years. And the second one was just retaliation for the first one. So (laughs) just to give an idea of like offer sheets, certainly an offer sheet for someone of Vince Dunn's kind of level, it literally a non-starter. Exactly. So if you look at if you're Vince Dunn and and you don't have arbitration rights and your qualifying offer is four million dollars for this year, which you are worth a lot more than that, your choices are either for the next year, if the Kraken don't want to come to a long term agreement, just take that four million dollars, play way below your market value for a year or hold out, I guess, for more, you can use that as leverage, but holding out is, is this other messy process and, and you still have no real leverage because then you don't get paid. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are his only options. But since he is filing for arbitration, now he ensures at least a bigger salary on a potential one or two year deal from an arbitration award, which would definitely be over $4 million. We don't know exactly what the arbitrator would decide, but it would be more than that for sure. And it puts pressure on the team to get a long-term deal done because teams hate the arbitration cases. It is a messy process. There's a reason that maybe 2% of them or less actually go and, and happen. You know, these arbitration hearings happen. Um, so that's what it does for Vince Dunn. It does give him that extra bit of leverage. Um, now, I want to get into the the idea, the kind of crazy Golden Knights idea of, uh, you know, what you could do if you're not worried about angering the player. I don't see Ron Francis doing this at all, but I want to know what you think of this, Dylan. All right. Because... Um, we talked about a short-term deal potentially being beneficial for the team. The player wouldn't like it, I think, yeah. but it could be beneficial for the team. What if you could sign Vince Dunn for, let's say, two years times seven and a half or eight million? How does that sound, Dylan? I mean, for the team, that sounds like really good. <laughs> like really, right. really good. <laughs> well, the way to accomplish that, I suppose, would be taking him to arbitration. Yes. Because... The arbitrator can only award a one or two year contract. That's how arbitration works. And the party that did not elect the arbitration does select the term. So if the player selects arbitration, the team can select a one or two year term. Mm -hmm. If you're the Kraken, you can select a two year term and just be happy with that short term at whatever the arbitrator decides. I mean, even if they go kind of high at, you know, eight and a half, even nine, you've got the money in the short term for that. Yeah. And, And you're mitigating some of that risk. I'm not recommending they do it. No. I'm just saying if you if if you had Vegas Golden Knights management, I think it's something that that maybe you consider. Um, but I definitely can't see Ron Francis doing that. I would be completely shocked if Ron Francis and the Kraken did that. I just don't think that that's how this organization has wanted to do business. They've given us no indication that it's how they want to do business. I just I don't think that they're those kinds of people. I think that would truly be if they were at an absolute impasse with Vince Dunn, right? Where it's, you know, it it would have to be some sort of really bad situation um, for all of that to kind of take place. I Yeah, I just can't imagine it happening. And, and I certainly wouldn't want it to because, you know, one of the things that we've heard about around the league and as players come in and join the Kraken it's been that, you know, look, it sounds like Seattle is becoming a very popular potential free agent destination, right? They they weren't really in a place to take advantage of that this offseason, 
but it sounds like moving forward year after year, the culture that they have, in addition to the location, the climate, all of those other great things, it very much sounds like players are taking note of the culture that the Kraken have built and have built around their players because players talk and, and the players with the Kraken have talked to teammates, you know, former teammates all across the league. And it really sounds like the Kraken have one of the more positive reputations. I would hate for them to kind of destroy that over just this, right? Like just, oh, we, we just couldn't quite in two weeks get something figured out with Vince Dunn. And, and we're going to blow that for the next five years, our ability to potentially bring in top players to play alongside, say, Matty Beniers, right? Like it just, it makes zero sense for them in the, in the long term. Yeah, it's not worth it at all. So I, I would not do that. But just just pointing out that option is potentially there. Or if I guess if you can't reach a deal and it does go to this hearing, maybe just elect a two year term rather than a one. Yeah. But uh, hopefully it doesn't come to that. I don't think it will. I no. still give it the you know two percent or less odds yeah. that it does. Yeah, agreed. It's it's so unlikely. Um, one of the as I'm just trying to kind of figure out where where we think this contract might ultimately end up. Do you think like it, the, the one comp that I kind of keep coming back around to RJ is Mikhail Sergachev with the Tampa Bay lightning. And his, he's just going to start this upcoming season, the first year of an eight year um, extension with an average cap hit of 8.5. He's the, the player that Vince Dunn tied in points with it for, for 10th in the league amongst defensemen at 64 points. Do you think eight and a half kind of becomes the number, RJ? Because as I look at Sergachev, he didn't he hadn't had a big breakout points year until this year, but the extension was already signed. He was in the last year of his previous deal when he put up the 64 points. Um, so, you know, Tampa Bay signed him to it a little bit before he exploded with the offensive numbers, at least counting stats wise. But they had maybe more of a proven playoff track record out of Sergachev at that point. He'd help them, you know, win Stanley Cups. They knew a little bit more about who he is. And then also, more, most importantly, they were, you know, he's only 25 now. The first couple of years of this deal are eating up RFA years instead of just the one on Vince Dunn's side. I mean, do you think, I, I'm starting to just think eight and a half is kind of probably going to be the number anyway. But do you think that Sergachev is kind of a good comparison given how everything happened? I think he is a fairly good comp uh, for, for a contract there. I still think Dunn's number is going to come out at lower than that. And it, I can't really point to any reason why it should after looking at the Sergachev deal, except just the, the Ron Francis factor. Um, I, I think with Sergachev, you, you did have the lightning kind of go higher on contracts and mm -hmm. there are, you know, as much as players took discounts to be there, right, which I think plenty did, they still had gone higher that, that, than that 8.5 number. And so organizationally, you kind of had that structure that, that allowed that uh, 8.5 to happen. I, I think you don't have that with Ron Francis and um, he's going to be really hesitant to go anything around that level. So I'd still say it would be a little bit lower um i'm thinking 7.5 to 8 something in that range but I, I don't really have any good solid reasons why except that i just think that ron francis is going to work a little bit of magic there all right all right i i think it, it's probably going to end up being around eight to eight and a half i just think that that's where the market is uh for defensemen and i think with the cap going up and the fact that they are buying so many ufa years talking seven of the eight years being ufa years that's a lot and and we've seen that you know you do have to pay more for those seasons and we've seen it all this offseason everybody is very aware 
of what the cap situation is going to be starting next summer, right? Like we're, we're either seeing players take one year deals and betting on themselves to get to UFA next year when the cap might be up, or we're seeing teams go ahead and kind of build that in to their contracts and the longer extensions that they are signing. And I think what the Kraken do with Vince Dunn is going to be very telling for then what they do with Matty Beneers and his extension, because he is eligible for an extension. I would be shocked if it came down before Vince Dunn's deal. I got to think, like I said earlier, Ron Francis's sole focus should be on Vince Dunn right now, given that one has by far and away the closest deadline of, you know, two weeks from today. Um, but at some point this offseason, I do think we're going to see a Matty Beneers extension and we're going to kind of see what they do with, with that. And I think Vince Dunn is going to be our first look at kind of how the Kraken are going to view such things moving forward. You know what I mean? Right. It's so big for the organizational pay structure and, and different different teams have kind of different structures there and how high they're willing to go and, and, and what they're willing to do. And I think you make a great point that the Dunn extension is going to influence the Veneers extension, I think, to, to an extent. Um, and look, Ron Francis is going to have to sign a new bigger, biggest contract that he's ever signed with both of these guys, I think. Um, but yeah, we'll see kind of where each one comes out, and this, especially the Veneers one. If that's an eight-year deal, that's going to be so important. That's franchise cornerstone. Mm -hmm. What's the number for him right. for potentially eight years? I mean, this is what could help define your cap situation all throughout your Stanley Cup window. Exactly. So lots of lots of big stuff to, to look forward to. That's the situation with Vince Dunn. However, there he wasn't the only player to be qualified as a restricted free agent, RJ. He wasn't the only player to file for arbitration back on the 5th. Um, but he is the only player left unsigned because this past week we've had those other players re-sign. Uh, why don't you go ahead and take us through the, the three Kraken players who have re-signed this past week. Right, so we had three Kraken RFAs uh, re-sign this week uh, ahead of any arbitration, although one of them did not file for arbitration. Yeah. But it doesn't matter uh, because they're all signed here. Um, and we'll we'll start with Cole Lind, the uh, the AHL's leading scorer in the playoffs uh, in the, in the Calder Cup playoffs. Had a great run there, um, and so he re-signs uh, to a one-year deal. Uh, at 775k so that is uh, that's league minimum there and it is a two-way deal so that means he has a separate salary in the nhl versus the minors he gets a 325,000 uh, minors salary which is pretty good yeah um and it's it's definitely a bump up from his uh his last contract of 150,000 in the minors so um gets a nice raise there you know kind of regardless of where he is and uh you know he'll have a shot to compete for a roster spot, as we'll talk about with some of the new free agent acquisitions, it's very difficult. There's going to be a lot of forwards yeah. he's competing with, um, but he's going to have a shot there. And even if he does stay in the AHL, he's going to be making some pretty decent money. Yep, exactly. I'm happy to you know keep Cole Lindeth in the organization, but yeah, as we're going to talk about later, <sighs> this this forward group for the Kraken is is deep. It's beyond deep. It's I don't even know what else to call it at this point. <laughs> I know it's uh, the. Hey, you can make all the Kraken metaphors yeah. you want. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll pass on that for now. But uh, yeah, it's it's a very deep forward group. So the yeah. second RFA signing is Kale Flurry, mm -hmm. and uh, and also a very deep blue line for the Kraken. And, and yep. Kale Flurry, you know, at at kind of the bottom of that deep blue line has been for a little bit as they keep uh, stacking players on top of him uh, in the lineup. But uh, you know what? He gets a two-year deal here. Mm -hmm. And it's a one-way contract, so that is huge for him. Yeah. Meaning that means he'll make 
that $800,000 cap hit for these two years, he'll make that regardless of whether he's in the NHL or the minors. So that's going to be huge for him. Uh, I'm trying to look back at his last contract. So yeah, for this past year, uh, his minor salary was only $200,000. So that's a four times pay increase over these next two years if he does remain in the minors. So at least it's some consolation there uh, if he gets sent down to the AHL. And I wonder on this contract too, whether making it a one-year deal might be a way to kind of scare some teams away from picking him up off waivers if the Kraken do want to send him down. What do you think? Uh, you mean two-year deal? Oh, sorry, two-year deal, I mean. Yeah, I, that, I, that's something I thought Actually, about. Actually, I meant one-way well. deal. Yes, one-way deal. I, I think that yeah. that is what it is, right? Like, that is the protection you're putting in place, right? Of, you know, if you want to grab him and maybe add him to your AHL roster, do you want to pay him, you know, 800,000 on average. Um, I, I don't know. I think that there's also something to be said for the, for the term, maybe in, in that way too, just because he hasn't seen a lot of NHL play time, although it'd still be a really low risk situation for somebody to take a flyer on him. I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of surprised by this. I got to think with the addition of Dumoulin, who we talked about last week and the free agent signing there, the fact that you still have Jacob Magna around you brought back Flurry. We'll get to Borgen in just a second. There's still way too many defensemen kind of in this situation. Somebody has to be odd man out. Do you think that they would just waive Kale Flurry, or do you think somebody would be traded out of this group? Possibly. I, I think you don't have a whole lot of leverage with teams knowing you have to get rid of one of these guys, especially if you're moving a Kale Flurry. I mean, maybe you could you could trade a Megna, but I think they'd like to still have him around, you know, steady veteran presence there. I think it might have to come down to just waving Kale Flurry and there may be trusting that with a two year deal, with a one way deal, that any team that's going to pick him up is going to have to commit to one point six million over the next two years paying him. Mm-hmm. I, I think the teams might just hesitate on that a little bit. And I think Ron Francis might be betting on that um, of wanting to keep Kale Fleury in the organization. Cause if you don't really yeah. want to keep him there, you're not going to pay him because they're paying him more than league minimum. Right. Yeah. Why, so why do this years, at all? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's one of those things where you can have an ownership group step up and be like, yeah, we're willing to pay the real dollars. If this is somebody you like and want to keep in the organization mm-hmm. and maybe want to scare other teams away from, from claiming uh, we'll make a contract. That's a little more difficult to do that. Yeah. Um, and so I think this is a, a case of the ownership group stepping up and Ron Francis wanting to keep a defenseman in the organization. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. Um, all right. So then the, the last one, the big one, of this group was was Will Borg and RJ. And I know this signing made a lot of people happy. Yes, for sure. I think many people were happy to have Will Borgen back, myself included. Uh, good to see him reach a deal here. I mean, we were kind of assuming a, a two-year deal was what was going to happen term-wise. It just yeah. kind of made sense in all our projections. Uh, it was a little higher AAV-wise mm-hmm. than what a lot of people had projected. But you know what? I'm not surprised. Will Borgen is the type of defenseman that teams covet. And I know I've been, you know, kind of uh, harping on this for a while with you, Dylan. I know we've had some disagreements at times about just how much it is that Will Borgen brings. But I really do think the league GMs, the market understands what it is that Will Borgen brings to a team. I think this is a guy that really, if you wanted to, you could trade for a first round pick at a trade deadline. And people be like, how did that guy fetch a first round pick? But you know what? A big physical defenseman like that who has good enough puck skills, can jump in the play occasionally, can play in your top four if needed. 
that's a valuable asset. And I think 2.7 over two years is still a bargain for what he's going to bring. Right. And I do wonder, going back to some of the factors we brought up with Vince Dunn, was, you know, look, how much of this is because the cap is going up next year? How much of this is because he is 26? So you're buying a the last year of RFA, but also a year of UFA. And that probably upticked the cost because, you know, otherwise, if you're Borgen, why wouldn't you just say, look, I'm going for a one year deal. Take me to UFA. I'll hit it right in my prime and I'll, I'll get paid. So I have to think that that influenced why we're seeing the cap hit a little higher at 2.7. Um, but the bottom line is, yeah, I mean, he played really, really well last year for the Kraken. I still have questions about what his overall upside is, what his ceiling really is, all of those things. But at 2.7 over two years, this is a, a great contract to kind of find those things out. Yep. I, it gives the crack in that flexibility in the, in the term. And then in two years later, you see what he is. And if he's, you know, reaches that upside where he's a legit top four guy, you can pay him a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and if not, he's a UFA and, and he can go elsewhere and, you know, yeah. and you get two good years out of him. So uh, I'm really happy with this contract. I'm, uh, I'm just, I'm happy that he's, he's signed there for him on a multi-year deal too. I did not want to see a one-year deal. I mm-hmm. wanted to see a little bit more term with Will Borgen and, and it's just a nice piece uh, on that second or third D pair. Yep. So the Kraken now have, uh, let's see, 11 forwards under contract, seven defensemen, three goaltenders, and then they still got uh, Burakovsky, who's still technically on injured reserve, it looks like, according to Cap Friendly. Um, so 12, really. So 12 forwards, yeah. So they're basically really filling up here, and they've still got a little over $9 million in cap space to work with for that Vince Dunn deal, and then we'll see anything else that the Kraken might want to do. Um, all right, so let's talk. Let's transition from the RFA group. The Kraken did make one other free agent signing. So let's go ahead and, and talk about who that was, RJ, because this was something I was really not expecting. Like this, I saw on the car ride back down, and I was just like, what? Excuse me? Huh? Interesting. I, I think it's interesting that you didn't really expect something like this. I wasn't expecting this name exactly, but... We knew there was an open spot for a 4C if maybe Shane Wright wasn't going to take that mm-hmm. spot. Uh, and Pierre-Edouard Belmar, 38-year-old veteran forward, uh, he can take face-offs. And that's yes. the number one thing that I was looking at with any free agent signing. If he couldn't take face-offs, he was not a take uh, face-off taker, then I would have been really scratching my head a little bit more with this signing. But we know he can do that. Uh, respected veteran presence in the league. I mean, mm-hmm. he's going to be great in the room. And the Kraken signed him to a one-year deal at seven hundred seventy-five thousand, uh, which is league minimum, by the way. Um, so I, I'm imagining he maybe kind of fills in at uh, as a fourth-line forward who takes face-offs. It seems like that's kind of where he would slot in. Mm-hmm. Um, but Belmar, you know, a lot of good things going for him. He's been a part of some teams that have made some really deep playoff runs. Yep. Did have a down year last year, and you, you wonder if that age uh, might be a factor. He's 38, which makes him the oldest Kraken by five years. Yeah. Uh, so definitely the, the veteran presence of the locker room there. Uh, I don't know. What what surprised you about this signing, you know, as opposed to maybe other 4C types they could have brought in? Um, and do you think it's it's a good signing to make? I mean, first off, I love the player. I've loved him for a while now. So I I really like the player. I like his addition. I think he's going to bring lots of really good stuff to the team. I'm not surprised in the sense that we had talked about they needed somebody in the bottom six and somebody who could take face-offs. What I'm surprised about is just we had seen how well Shane Wright looked through the dev camp cycle. 
through the AHL playoffs. It very much felt like, you know, the Firebirds were getting him perfectly ready to go and be uh, maybe a 4C for the Kraken. And then he, you know, showed up with the leadership and everything at Dev Camp. And then also the, the Yamamoto deal just further complicating the overall forward situation with the Kraken. So that's why I was I wasn't surprised that they chose this as maybe, you know, potentially their final addition up front given what he can bring to the team. I was just surprised that there was another addition to be made, right? Because that 12 forward number doesn't count Shane Wright, it doesn't t- count Ty Cartier. Right? Like this is a this is a group that is already kind of busting at the seams and you're adding more names to it. Now, yes, you're adding a name that helps fill quite frankly the biggest need you had up front in faceoffs for me at this point outside of you know oh go out and get to bring it and bring in a 40 goal scorer and another one right but like they weren't going to do that so I'm, I'm not as surprised about that aspect of it i'm just surprised that it's another you know player in general because of how right. how busy they are yeah i understand that to me this is the one that's oddly kind of less surprising than the yamamoto signing that's the one where i was like oh really you're you're gonna do that which i didn't even think it was a bad signing i think it's always going to bring in more talent we talked about this last week but that one just as far as a fit for the needs didn't make a whole as as much sense as this one did so this one didn't catch me off guard as much as the yamamoto signing but yeah there's just a lot of players here and i think the first one we have to talk about with with belmar signing is is shane wright you mentioned Mm -hmm. him just now does this block Shane Wright's path to a spot in the NHL this year? And I think if we want to spin it into something maybe a little bit more positive, do you think this might be a sign that Ron Francis is, is confident that he'll be able to send Wright to the AHL next season? Because it's not known right now. He still needs to have those okay. conversations with the OHL and in his words, try and find a, a common sense solution uh, you know, to, to make everything work. But do you think this signing maybe is a hint that that Francis thinks that, okay, we'll, we'll probably have a spot for Shane in the AHL. We don't need to worry about keeping a 4C role open for him with the Kraken. No, I don't. I, I, okay. I, I don't think that. I think what this is is this is a, a training camp challenge for Shane Wright, right? This signing Ooh. was sending a message to Shane Wright of, hey, you know, you're not going to just walk into this, go out there and, and prove that you've earned it. And to be perfectly honest, after being around Shane Wright at Dev Camp, RJ, I think that Shane Wright's totally ready for that kind of challenge. You know what I mean? I don't think he would have yeah. been, say, last season, but given just all the ways that he's matured, uh, both you know on the ice and off the ice, it feels very much like this is something they can do. And let's be honest, right? Like, Omar doesn't have to be the 4C. It could be a situation where Shane Wright is the 4C, but Belmar takes faceoffs on one side. Or we see, you know, uh, Shane Wright go up to 3C with Yanni Gord on his wing, and you see something similar there, and then Belmar is the, the 4C. So there's still a lot of ways in which you can make this work with Shane Wright there. But I still feel like my first gut reaction to seeing it and everything was this is Ron Francis and the Kraken challenging Shane Wright and saying, if you want it, you got to work for it. And I think Shane Wright is in the, the, the right place for that now. And I, and I think that Shane Wright will respond positively to that and he will accept that challenge and he will go out there and, you know, then it's all just up to training camp and we'll see what he does there. That's only he can kind of decide what happens from here. But that's, that's kind of how I took it personally. 
Okay, and that's consistent with the messaging that the Kraken have given. Ron Francis mm -hmm. uh, mentioning Shane knocking at the door, saying that him being in the NHL depends on what he's going to do this summer and in training camp. Um, and I, I think they do want to have that competition there for him. And yeah, there are multiple ways that you can get him in the lineup. And you know what? If Shane forces the issue, I, I think they're not going to have any choice, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a good problem they, to the have. The team's talked to... Yeah, we've heard Bilesma, we've heard Haxtell talk about this with Ty Karche last year. Like, mm -hmm. he left no doubt. Like, we could not keep him out of the lineup. He left no doubt about being the call-up. Like, he left us no choice, basically. We had to put him in the lineup. And I think Shane's in a position where he can do that. He definitely has the talent to do that. Mm -hmm. He's got the work ethic to do that. And um, if everything goes well, he's not going to leave the crack in any choice. And Pierre Edouard Belmar is not going to be the one standing in his way that's no. preventing him, uh, you know, from, from getting a spot if Shane does everything that he can do. Exactly. And then the other thing that I thought of after that was that this is a signing for the playoffs, right? Like, mm -hmm. let's, let's be real. This is a player who, especially given the age, might not play the full 82 games with the Kraken. Certainly if Shane is around, right? Let's say Shane beats him out, then this becomes one of your scratch forwards. Again, great person to still have in the room, great person to come in and fill in in case of injury, right? Fantastic player for that. And then over the course of the year, you see how Shane maybe grows in that 4C spot, if it's working or not. And then come playoff time, you could see a, a Belmar come in and maybe then a bigger role because I do think that this is another signing that to me signals the Kraken are starting to really transition from the mindset of, that three to five year window, although we are entering year three, um, of really transitioning from we're building something to we are something and we need to start, you know, fixing the problems that kept us from winning that game seven in round two against Dallas. And in my opinion, the more I go back and I think of that series in Dallas, you'll win a face off in like any of three games that you lost and you probably come out okay. You're winning that series. You know, I don't know that you maybe beat Vegas after that, but you're going to the Western Conference Finals. And and I just think that they needed somebody who could be an extra agitator, someone who could go out there and, and throw the body around and be a pest and keep bad things from happening while their top, you know, possession lines were off the ice. And I felt like the bottom six kind of struggled in that a little bit last year in the playoffs. And they ultimately, they desperately needed somebody who could win faceoffs. And Belmar, I mean, fantastic in the faceoff. Over 60% last year in the playoffs for Tampa, RJ, on the faceoffs. Like, you tell me the Kraken couldn't have used that a lot? <laughs> oh, for sure. Especially in series as, as close as those Dallas and Colorado series were. Um, I think you may even close out the Colorado series a little bit earlier yeah. if you have someone there who can take those faceoffs. So that's really important. And and like you mentioned, this this year... It's about what what they are, not what they will be. Last year was the one year where you're like, yeah, we, you know what, this team is what it is. It's ahead of schedule. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all gravy. That goes out the window after getting within a game of the Western Conference Finals. Right. You know, it's about what this team is now. There's real expectations there, and you've got to be prepared to meet them. Absolutely, and we'll talk about more because, like, there's a lot of stuff that I have to say about kind of the bottom six and how they performed in the in the postseason and stuff that I've just been thinking about for a little while and i think we can maybe talk about that maybe even next week uh, on the deep dive just because at some point here we're going to kind of see the roster rj we're going to have to try to figure out where we think everybody's going to play and i think that mm -hmm. that might be a, an appropriate time to have that conversation uh so we'll, we'll kind of move on on from here but uh it's it's certainly interesting and and overall though i i'm a big fan of this signing i like the player a lot 
Oh yeah, for sure. You, you've got to like the player. I mean, he's, yeah. he's just so respect in the league. You got to love the personality. Um, you know, the, the funny video clip that kept being brought back up with him and Burakovsky being teammates mm -hmm. again about uh, when Berkey crushed his dreams yes. at the, at the winter classic at that outdoor game, telling him he's, they're not actually going to be playing on a lake. It's just on a golf course next to the lake. Um, so yeah, they're teammates again. Uh, hopefully Berkey doesn't crush Belmar's dreams in any way with the outdoor game looming. Um, but I guess maybe we're hoping Shane Wright crushes his dreams. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> oh, so man. We'll see how that goes, but gotta love Belmar. Yep. That's a good thing. They didn't try to play on that Lake RJ that year. Um, oh yeah, no, it would have been, been a struggle. <laughs> ice. There's no ice. Yeah. Would have been a struggle given it was all water. Um, all right. So from from that latest uh, UFA signing, uh, free agent signing here for the Kraken to the two that we talked about last week, because you were able to do uh, media availability with both uh, Brian Dumoulin and uh, Kyler Yamamoto. So why don't you go ahead and, and fill us in on what they had to say, the, the two newest members of the Kraken? Right now, I always enjoy these first media availabilities with players that the Kraken bring in. You kind of get to figure out, especially free agents, too. Like, OK, why would you want to choose Seattle? Like these are players who had a choice and where they want to sign. They ended up choosing Seattle to play with the crack. And you always uh, get to kind of find out why, what their thought process was. And, um, you know, there's always some great connection there. So we'll start with Brian Dumoulin. Uh, career, you know, Pittsburgh Penguin pretty much was drafted by Carolina, but, uh, you know, played the last 10 years on the Penguins blue line. And uh, the thing that stood out to me the most at first was kind of why he decided to sign. And the biggest reason he gave was that he had four former Penguins teammates on this Kraken team, uh, Jared McCann, Jamie Alexiak, Brandon Tanev, and Justin Schultz, who all reached out to him and told him what a great place Seattle is to live, to play, uh, and how great the organization is. And uh, as you talked about earlier in the podcast, players talk, mm -hmm. and the Kraken are definitely developing a reputation as a place that players want to go play. And I think that kind of just made this a, a no-brainer for Brian Dumoulin, having four former teammates who could all tell him, uh, how great things are here in Seattle. So it's it's just always so nice to hear as someone who, uh, you know, who covers the team, who, who lives here and, and who, you know, appreciates the culture that the team has built, that that's what happens when you yeah. when you have a team like this in free agency. You can just go sign guys because uh, players are going to are going to put in the good word. Yeah, exactly. It's it's exactly what we talked about earlier. It's exactly why we don't expect them to to turn into the Vegas Golden Knights anytime soon, right? You you work hard to build a reputation like that, and it's very easy to tear it down. Um, so I I just don't see them throwing it away lightly ever. Um, but yeah, I mean, ju I'm just still really excited for Brian Dumoulin. I think this is going to be a good kind of change of scenery for him after the struggles he's he's had the last couple years in Pittsburgh. The the play declining a little bit. He's still only 31. I think he can turn it around, and I think the situation here is going to be really, really good for him. And hey, cups in the room, RJ. I mean, rings in the room, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> rings, they'll bring they'll bring, they'll the, bring cup the cup to the room. Right? Yeah, hopefully, the point is yeah. the point is you know it's another it's another veteran. We just talked about with Belmar. We talked about it last week. I, I just think that as the Kraken are transitioning to a team who's going to have to try to find ways to to win, you know, game sevens to go to the Western Conference Finals. It helps to have people like this around who can help show the younger players, uh, including like a Matty Beneers, who, despite having just gone through it, is still a young player, all those kinds of things. I still think it's important. 
Yeah, always good to have veteran players like that in the room. And um, Ron Francis knows, you know, what Dumoulin can do, too. And it's um, that connection, too, was something that, that came up where when uh, we were talking to Ron Francis right after he signed the Dumoulin contract and we were asking about him, uh, Francis said that, that Dumoulin was kind of one of his projects back in Carolina. And I, I was kind of curious what that meant. We talked about it last week on the podcast, you know, them going back. And so uh, I got to ask Brian Dumoulin, OK, like, what's the history there with Ron Francis? Did that have any impact in signing here and i thought the answer was really interesting too so apparently when ron francis was with the hurricanes organization before he was the gm back when he was just in a player development role um one of his jobs would be to go and kind of check in on the prospects and, and players that the hurricanes had drafted and so when dumoulin was back at boston college all those years ago and francis was in player development francis would go and visit dumoulin uh at at college, go visit him at his hotel room. They'd sit down, they'd watch film together. Uh, you know, they kind of talk about things to improve, but also they would just talk about life. And, and Francis, of course, being you know, the, the accomplished NHL player that he was and, and just having a, a little bit of a mentor like that. I thought that was really cool to hear stories from that far back and, and having that relationship too. And so, um, you know, Francis and Dumoulin, I'm de sure definitely on the same page you know, all, all the way back from a long time ago. So it just makes the signing make even more sense. And it's something also I thought about when um, we'll talk maybe a little bit later when we talk about the prospects about uh, Oscar Fisker Molgard and Franz Nielsen about mm -hmm. how important that player development role relationship can be. Um, but it was kind of cool to hear those stories of, of way back when, when he was in college and, and right. Ron Francis kind of meeting up and, and uh, getting to know him. Yeah, no, it's, it is really cool to hear. And, um, I mean, it's just, it's fun, and it is one of those things that as you listen to it, or even just listening to you talk about it, right, and and you hear about some of those relationships and what they've meant to players when they were younger and all those things, like, it it just kind of continues to, to build those those good feelings and that goodwill and all that kind of stuff as you think about it, and it it's the, it's the type of stuff that I am happy that we get to be a part of and we get to talk about it. We get to then, you know, provide it to everybody else because I think it's one of those things that'll really, it endears players to fans, right? It endears the team to fans. And it's one of those things that can really help strengthen the bond um, between the fans and the team and the players and, and get us that much more excited to, to root for these guys and everything by finding out those stories and their past and, and what they've gone through and all of those things. I, I'm, I'm always a fan of it. And I certainly know with the other player that the Kraken uh, made available to all of you, <laughs> it's going to be a big part of the story of adding him to this team. Oh, for sure. So the Kraken signed uh, Kyler Yamamoto uh, to a one-year deal, one and a half million. And we got to talk to him uh, for, for the first time. And of course, you know, past stories, you have to ask him about it, right? I mean, yep. you know, he's Spokane native. He's the first Washington-born player uh, under contract with the Kraken, should be the first Washington-born player to play for the Kraken, uh, assuming all goes well. And, I mean, right off the bat, he mentioned this is a dream come true that the Kraken were at the top of his list right away after he got bought out and, and realized he was going to be a free agent. Um, he had Seattle Metropolitan's gear as a kid. Yep. I mean, you know, you can't make this stuff up it's great and he said that he always wished seattle would get a team he'd go out there you know for tournaments various events and everything you know being around the state and he's just talked about i i always wish that they would get a team and, and hope that would happen and now they do have a team now he's playing on it and like he said it's a dream come true 
Yeah, and it totally comes across like you know, even just reading the quotes, right? It it comes across how how special this moment is for him, uh, how special it is for his family, what it means to all of them, and again, how like how does this not become a fan favorite, right? Like, yeah, he's going to be an instant fan favorite. I mean, to. right away, a lot of people in the state, you know, just remembering him from his days with the Spokane Chiefs because yeah. he played his junior hockey there. Uh, you know, whether it was uh, as a as a home player or, or a road player, maybe coming to play against some of the you know teams mm-hmm. you root for. Um, but either way, I, I think he's going to be an instant fan favorite right away. Just you know, has a likable personality as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, w- what more do you need? Yeah, no, we're going to see a lot of a lot of his jerseys. I th- I feel like at CPA. oh yeah i have a feeling i have a feeling feels (laughs) feels pretty safe there um all right so uh because we got about 10 minutes here left rj and we do need to get to the dev camp scrimmage uh i mean anything else from the media availability there Nope. I, th- I think that just about uh, covers the main bits. And I'm looking forward to getting to know the two of them uh, further yes. as we get to talk to them in person. Those were all over Zoom, which always kind of has that, you know, a little bit of a, of a disconnect. But yeah. Um, yeah, looking forward to meeting those two in person during training camp. Definitely. All right. So last day of development camp was the scrimmage ended up being a four on four scrimmage, which I thought worked out really well. Actually, I thought that was a lot of fun. Uh, had a big comeback for Team Blue, RJ. Uh, team white was up at the half uh five to two ultimately ended up being team blue coming out victorious uh eight to seven so it was it was quite the (laughs) comeback nice high scoring affair rj um and really everybody got involved and that's one of the things that i really really liked about it obviously you know 15 goals were scored that's a lot of goals it means most likely everybody got involved but we basically got like a highlight reel moment from all of the top guys there at dev camp just all of them it was it was so cool i know everybody contributed it felt like and, and it felt like too it built off of each other where oh this guy you know he went and did something great i gotta go do something cool uh and and it just really built and and especially as the scrimmage went on mm-hmm. and it got a little bit looser as as can happen with a four on four but you know yeah. you start cheating up for offense a little bit and you trade chances um and, and i just really liked the format there and it gave them a chance everyone a chance to showcase their skills and i think almost better than a three on three where you kind of have that yeah. cycle game going and there's too much open ice re- really um but yeah i I really liked the the format for the game and and just everybody contributing i got so many great video clips of just different prospects each doing their thing um i mean i could go kind of name by name but there's just there's kind of too many to mention there is i mean i i wrote down names that you know i kind of wanted to talk about it but everybody had moments really um let's let's go ahead and start with with chalet right first first pick uh, we had talked last time after that first day of dev camp and even he had spoken about, you know, look, it wasn't maybe his best, his best look out there for the first time, but you, he, we talked about, it. he was coming off a very busy week, lots of stuff going on. Uh, maybe a little bit of that still some of the rust for the first half of this one, but boy, in the second half of the scrimmage, RJ, Shelly looked fantastic and ultimately culminating in a, in a great uh, breakaway goal, you know, forehand, backhand, just roofing it completely. It was, it was really, really sick. And it gave everybody there. First off, I think it was the loudest cheer anybody had for a goal was, was his. And, and it just c- kind of gave you that moment of like, Oh yeah, this guy, this is, this is why we put, picked him in the first round. And this is the kind of stuff you can envision him doing at, at climate pledge arena in the future. Exactly. I mean, we were kind of waiting for this, you know, like, okay, when's he going to wake up? 
we knew he was a better player than what he showed the first day at death camp. He knew that everyone yep. knew it. Um, and, you know, through that, that first half of the scrimmage, again, it, you know, struggled a little bit, especially when there's any kind of contact, but absolutely woke up in the second half. And uh, you could see exactly why they picked him in the first round yep. that, that breakaway move just got all the fans up out of their seats. It was, it was just such a great highlight. And he had a breakaway before, before that too. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was generating chances for himself. And I think he kind of learned from that first move too, because he just didn't elevate the puck. He had the goalie kind of beat, but he didn't elevate it. Second one, he knew exactly what to do. Um, yeah. and, and you could see all the skill come together. Yep. And left no doubt about elevating it either. <laughs> so that thing <laughs> exactly. probably could have gone up and through the ceiling had the net not been there. Um, Yanni Newman, what a difference it makes, right? Watching a player like him, like he is built for game action, not for like drills. You know, and we've talked about his skating and how much it's improved and all that stuff. But you watch him in a game type setting, especially in something four on four, where his size is that much more of an advantage when things do get in close or when he can drive the net or, you know, spin around and protect the puck. I thought he looked really, really, really good, RJ. And I want him with the Firebirds so bad this upcoming season. I know. I want to see what he can do at the AHL level. He, he's got the size to do it. Now he has the skating to do it. And I think the most dominant that anybody looked at any point during this scrimmage was his winning goal to make it mm -hmm. eight to seven for team blue, where he just circled around the offensive zone a couple times, weaved through a couple defensive players and then just beat the goalie flat out one-on-one -on -one from the high slot. Uh, I mean, that that's a grown man play yeah. right there. And uh, yeah, it just made me really excited for what he can do uh, you know, at higher levels. Yeah. I'm really excited and impressed with him. Ty Nelson, kind of the, I, I don't know if he was officially the captain of the winning team or de facto, but he was the one lifting the trophy first. Um, I thought Ty Nelson had a, a fantastic game. Dude just plays at 100% all the time. Like, you cannot turn it off. You're seeing him diving down to block shots, just stop a Shane Wright chance to try to tie the game late there. I mean, he he lived up to the billing of most fun player for me easily and you knew it was going to be the case with ty i mean he's so fun to watch and you beat me to it with him laying down to block a shane wright shot like off the back of his shin basically off of his calves yeah. laying down to block a shane wright shot and that's that's a hard shot you're going down to block yep. uh in a dev camp scrimmage yes. like you, you you can't turn it off i mean yeah. he just gives 110 percent all the time um and just a great source of energy too in between the first and second halves he was kind of bugging shane like tugging on his jersey like hey shane hey shane yep. shane and shane just wasn't giving him any attention <laughs> and he finally just skates right out in front of his face so he can't ignore him um but yeah just so fun watching ty nelson play and he looked really good too i mean he had this great play where he just barreled into the offensive zone with a head full of steam no one could really stop him and then he set a centering pass right out to the middle tap in into the wide open net uh for the forward who was there with him so uh good to see from him but i mean just you knew it was coming Oh, definitely. And yeah, the, the skating is there, his ability to lead rushes. And we also saw, you know, the bomb from the point too, as he got a goal. Yes. The that. trademark bomb from the point. Yep. All right. Shane Wright. Uh, we talked about him a little bit earlier. Looked fantastic all week. Uh, you could tell that he took on, you know, a leadership role in camp, that that was important to him. And we, we talked about it a lot last, last week, so I won't focus on it, but in the game, I mean, continued to look really, really good. Um, I'm, I'm impressed by him. I think he needs to be challenged and I think training camp's going to be that challenge for him. Right. I mean, it, he just seems like he's ready for it. 
Right. And watching the scrimmage, you're just kind of thinking, okay, this is this is enough. Like he needs a higher level of challenge, right? You know, he's the best player out here. Let's let's get him in there in training camp, you know, against some men and, and see what he can do. But yeah, he looks so much more confident than last year. I mean, you know, he, he looked very skilled last year, uh, but now he's got the confidence that comes with it and being a leader. And again, we'll get too far into it because we talked about it last week, but uh, had some really great plays too. I mean, uh, gets the assist on a Jagger Furcus goal where he just yeah. walks in and slams it off the post. So it just bounces all the way out to Furcus for a big rebound. Um, you know, you could tell that shot was definitely there. Definitely. Some uh, people were saying that went in. I'm mean, looking at the video. You can't exactly tell. It looks like it hit two close. bars. It might've gone in. I think it did go in. I think it bounced off that back bar personally. Um, but uh, just it's, it's really close. The bottom line was it was a great play no matter what it was. I just liked the way he was playing away from the puck. He, he was looked like a smart player. He was kind of playing like it was still five on five, the way he would kind of drift towards <laughs> the middle and, and try to find gaps there. But again, I've, I've always liked that about Shane Wright's game, his ability to go, go into the slot and kind of find a gap and, and make himself available. I think that is something that when you are playing in the NHL with NHL level line mates, they're going to find you there and you're going to be able to get a lot of really good looks on goaltenders. It's how he scored his first ever NHL goal. It's how he almost scored a hat trick in that first period in that same game. Um, and he still got that to him, and and I love to see it. Love to see it. Uh, real quickly through through some other people, I thought Goyette had a really good um, scrimmage as well. Maybe not so much offensively as he did defensively. I was really impressed with his two hundred foot game. I thought Ryan Winterton looked really good. I don't know about you, but he mm -hmm. seems ready for the AHL as well, in my opinion. Yeah, he stood out to me for sure. And it was great to just see him on the ice in a situation yes. like this where in a Kraken jersey, uh, given this is his first real dev camp. But he definitely stood out to me. And I was hoping to see that, too, because as a member of the Kraken's first draft class, you, you kind of want to be a little bit further along in your development timeline, even though he's had the injury issues. And uh, I, I saw everything I needed to see from him there on the yeah. ice. Oh, definitely. Definitely. So, yeah, I mean, look, we could go down the list and talk about everybody. Everybody, I thought, had had moments and flashes and, and good stuff. Um, the bottom line, though, is and the, the main takeaway from all of it for me is that the Kraken prospect pool is really, really good. It's deep. It might not, you know, outside of Shane Wright, it might not have necessarily that one like super S tier blue chip prospect. But the bottom line is. They have a lot of guys that are really, really good hockey players. And not only are they good hockey players, but they're all really good at at maybe one or two specific things. And that is going to help provide them roles in the NHL one day, help them become NHL players. I know I talked about this last week on the deep dive, but I just want to kind of reiterate how important it is to be able to see those kind of paths to the NHL for a lot of these players. And Oscar Fisker Molgard as, as maybe a bottom six center. I was uh, waiting for you to mention do. his name. I know, I know, I know. I was trying, you know, to hold off. But uh, but the, the, just the fact that you can see that, you can see those flashes, you can see what their strengths are. And as the Kraken con continue to kind of develop those strengths, plug the holes and the weaknesses that they have, I mean, this is really good. And, and I think that after this draft, rightly so, we were starting to see them ranked in the top 10 prospect pool wise as they're finally getting enough prospects that you could do that i feel like there's a lot of people <laughs> who wanted to rank them that high but you just kind of couldn't justify it given that they only had like you know 
what 15 people hanging around right it makes it a little yep. hard uh but uh 15 draft picks so uh I, I was i was happy to see that now kind of post draft people are really starting to take note around the league i know i got some grief in the mock draft video for saying that they had a a top half of the league prospect pool but everybody is really starting to take notice and i think that's going to be a really really good thing for the crack in long term and especially in this kind of upcoming cup window that they're going to be looking at yeah. yeah, Ron Francis even acknowledged it after the draft saying, you know, I, I think you look at the uh, the outside, you know, experts, they they seem to say we did pretty well. Not that we look at that, you know, we judge our own stuff internally, but, uh, you know, we, we did pretty well grading wise. I think he even gave a little nod to that. But yeah, it just shows how the Kraken are well suited that even, you know, even they don't have a whole lot of blue chippers. They're well suited for when guys like a Jordan Eberle or a Jaden Schwartz or a Wenberg, Yanni Gord, when those guys yeah. eventually kind of age out and you have to find replacements for them. Uh, the cupboard's well stocked, you know, for yep. those forwards. Same thing on the blue line with, you know, as like a Larson, you know, Schultz or Dumoulin. Um, as those guys start to get older and you need to bring in younger replacements for them, you have those guys in the system ready to go. And I, I think they're just really well suited for when that happens. Definitely. And then finally, the last thing for Dev Camp, just want to again say how incredible it was to meet everybody while I was up there. Like, I yes. just can't get over it. Met so many great people for the meetup on uh, Sunday, but also again on Wednesday as well. Got to meet some more people that couldn't make it out to the Sunday one. Say hi, shake hands. I mean, it's just great to hang out with everybody in person. Um, I know it's, you know, it's always great for you, RJ. You get it a little bit more than I do uh, being <laughs> yeah. up there. Uh, but I just wanted to, you know, it's too many people to give shout outs to all here at the end of the podcast. But I just wanted to say that it was really awesome to see everybody. And thanks for taking the time to to talk and hang out for a little while. Yeah. And thank you, everyone, for showing Dylan the love. I, I always uh, hope that when he comes and visits and has these chances that he you know, gets to see all the great things that I do. And um, you definitely didn't disappoint, um, you know, Dylan and, and especially Afra, too. Yes. I mean, she was uh, I was going to say that helps popular. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it was, it was a great trip. Really, really happy I, I was able to be up there for it. And then certainly looking forward to the next trip and hopefully having some more time to be able to spend with everybody. And hey, RJ, maybe we'll go out to Queen Anne Beer Hall. That would be fun. I know. You know not not have to all be watching a hockey game. We can all just hang out and have a good time. That'd be a lot of fun, too. That sounds like a really good idea. It's been too long since I've had one of their pretzels. I, I need one more of those with the cheese sauce. Yeah. I've hey, been craving it. I mean, you know, all the All-Star Game festivities seems like a good place to watch all that. Just saying. Oh, for sure. No, no question. I mean, that place is going to be packed for the all-star game. Everyone's going to be enjoying it. Um, you know, best place to be outside of T-Mobile Park. And I mean, sure, a heck of a lot cheaper to get in there yes. than T-Mobile Park. Oh, man. Have you seen those ticket prices for the all-star game? Crazy. I, I'm I'm unsurprised. And we'll see what, you know, Kraken tickets end up looking like. And certainly those Winter Classic tickets as that gets yeah, closer. Yeah, single too. game tickets went on sale today. So I've already heard from a few people reaching out that they, uh, they're, they're not cheap. They're so. Yeah, they're, they're expensive tickets. Um, all right, everybody. Thank you so much for, for listening to this week's episode of The Deep Dive. We'll be back at it again next week. Uh, but until then, we'll see you all next time. Hey, everyone. Before we go, we just wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over at patreon.com slash emeraldcityhockey, especially our Terror of the Deep patrons. Absurdly Sane, Alex, Andrew, Anonymous, Ben, Brad, Burnt Creme, Kaylin, Chris, Cody, Connor, Coop, Daryl, Denise, DJ Singletone, Duthin, Eli, Elizabeth, Evan, Habak, Gaby, Gary, Gregory, Jay, Jane, Jeremy, Jessica, 
Joni, Joseph, Josh, Joshua, Katie, Keegan, Kepler, Kitty B. Kraken, Leanne, Light, Lonnie, Mark, Maya, Michael, Michelle, Noah, Nori, Nunya, Paige, Paul, Rayanne, Rebecca, Ryan, Sarah, Scott, C.A. Kraken, Sean B., Sean O., Sergey, Shannon, Shoeshine, Skeletal Tendency, Steve, Steven, Striatic, Pasty Kobold, Team YMIAT, Tank Commander Ty, Wendy, Strike, and Zane. Thank you so much for making all this possible. We really appreciate your support.